Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, Pierre, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do and who do you work for? Yes, sure. So I work for EY. I'm a partner. I'm based in Dubai. And my job is basically what you would call a go-to-market uh, leader, which is uh, looking at, so looking after technology assets that we have as a firm and how do we provide them to our clients? How do we make sure that they meet any sort of challenges that they are trying to solve, that they stay up to date with the content and then looking at everything from the marketing, the actual sales process around it, the demos, the implementation and the support with the roadmap as well. So kind of a, a wide range of activities, I guess. Yes, sounds it. So I'm curious as to what the problem that EY are solving, EY Global are solving in the market. Uh, so as you know, we, we have a lot of different sort of services that we that we call them right and different trenches of that but where i operate really is within the tax technology space and my core if you want or where i'm coming from is really indirect tax element of that so basically anything that has to deal with vat and gst automation and so what i guess the two key thing that i'm doing these days is looking at helping companies to automate the overall end-to-end indirect tax process which means from the moment where you record a transaction in your in your system more more and more these days also being able to then help solve the e-invoicing and the e-reporting element of that as well because in one of the estimation that we have is over the next three to five years about 60 percent of the world gdp will be impacted by some sort of invoicing regulation so it's happening everywhere and you know while we kind of started in latin we kind of now moved into europe and apac at really really a fast pace which you know every other week you have a new country announcing that they're going to introduce an e-invoicing regulation as well so it's it's a lot of work to keep up to that so it's about how do you record those transactions from a tax standpoint how do you then produce compliant e-invoice into that market right which is dictated by the tax authority there and then how do you ensure that the correct amount of tax is put on that invoice and then how do you then move from that to actually producing the return that you need to file in that country right kind of that that end-to-end process that's what i'm trying to automate as much as possible for clients today that's great. And out of curiosity, what kind of companies, uh, have you got any examples of sizes of companies that actually use your systems? Well, so it would be typically from a mid-sized sort of companies, right? So probably call it starting from maybe a hundred million turnover, those sort wow. of things. 
up to the biggest name and the biggest companies that you can think about. Because one of the beauty, if I can call it that way, of, of VAT, it, it impacts everybody across sectors, across countries in the same way, right? It's an obligation. It's a, a transaction-related tax that you have to do every month or every quarter all the time, regardless, right? Which is a very different setup than what you would have on the direct tax side, for instance, in corporation tax, where it's a once in a year sort of job. Right? Yeah. Here, it's constant churning out, right? And because it's transaction and consumption related on whatever you sell and whatever you purchase, it means that the amount of cash that you handle within that VAT space can be significant. Right? Yes. And so it's a, it's a, it's something that any company needs to manage very carefully. And what does not help companies is the fact that the VAT rules and regulation are vastly different in every single country. Yes. So as soon as you start to operate across border, your level of complexity when it comes to indirect tax increases exponentially very very quickly right because the rates are different the rules are different and even though the concept is the same the details around it are very very different so when when you start to operate in 5 10 15 20 50 countries the complexity that you have to manage in all the different rules are extremely complex to first of all be aware of ensure that you're always up to date and then being able to just deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis to be compliant because that's that's the other thing as well it's a compliance obligation so if you don't meet them you get fined right so it's a tricky job and what has always been interesting to me is back in the days and probably talking about 15 years ago or more direct tax corporation tax was the was the sexy tax to work in Right, because that where all the biggest jobs, all the biggest position, where that usually what you have the limelight in a company, right? And then indirect tax kind of slowly creep up, right, over over the past years to kind of take a central stage. And now it's becoming a, a huge topic for every single company uh, because the rules are the rules are constantly more and more complex and are evolving at a pace which is absolutely crazy. Uh, the fact that you have the introduction of e-invoicing as well in a lot of countries has a huge impact simply because in your typical or standard VAT process, if you want to extract data from your system, then you have maybe a few weeks to message it, fill out your return and then file it. When you are in an e-invoicing sort of setup, you may have to report your transaction directly into the government within 24 hours. So you do not have time anymore to massage that data, yes. which means that you have to get it right straight away. And that changes the dynamic massively for every company, right? Because very few are set up to be able to deal with that level of frequency of reporting that quickly. So it's a niche market. The indirect tax market is very niche. Indirect tax automation is even more niche. So it is, it is, a, it is a geek world. I'm not going to lie about that, but it's a very exciting topic in the sense because it moves so fast and it has such a limelight these days. And it's also a huge source of revenue for government, which you know, 
you take any any country, even the UK here where I am at the at the moment, it is the third biggest source of income of the government, right? Just after income tax and national insurance. So, you know, every year in the UK, you've got about 150 billion pounds worth of VAT being collected. So it's a huge topic on both sides of the equation as well, right? Which make it a, or makes it a very exciting topic to work in. Yes, absolutely. I'm just thinking when I get to my hundred million pound turnover, I might be knocking on your door for your services. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be very happy to help you, of course. <laughs> and I mean, it's almost like real-time tax calculation and there's something real-time about it. And I, lo- and I love that because you're kind of knowing where you are. Because to do this at the end of the year for some of these companies would be just like OMG comes to mind. And that's also the the other angle that people should look at this, right? It's it's not about just trying to comply with those real-time sort of requirements, you know, and yes, it's painful and yes, it requires a level of investment in your IT and the tech around it to be able for you to cope with that. But the benefit of that then is you have instant access, instant insight into mm. your data, right? You can have the pulse on a huge cash flow for your business. Where where are you at? Are you in a payable or receivable position? Can you adjust your points your sales cycle to have less duty to pay in a particular month? And all and all those type of mm. things, right? Which was not really feasible before because you always look at this post fact and typically because you don't have the the time anyway that sort of value added i guess insight are very difficult to drive because every month you have to redo it again right so you never really have time to take a break whereas if you are, are able to have the right the right setup the level of insight that you can gain from it mm. is something that is unprecedented compared to what was even available maybe three or four years ago. Wow, fantastic. So Pierre, I've got my curiosity is really kind of kicking off and firing up here. Uh, you mentioned something really interesting earlier on, which is around e-invoicing and governments really driving to bring that to the fore. Now, I've got some assumptions of why that would be, but I'm really interested in what the benefits are to, for governments and for companies and general drive. Why is this happening? Yeah, so you probably have about three drivers. The first one is trying to help make your business landscape as a country more efficient and smoother, right? Because if you can exchange invoicing information electronically, right, it makes it faster, easier, et cetera, which has nothing to do with tax, right? It's just a pure kind of, you know, business enablement sort of regulation. That's kind of the first the first driver. Now, the second one, and this, and this is where you start to relate to the tax, is whilst VAT is typically your, your third or fourth biggest revenue driver as a government, as a tax authority, you have, unfortunately, in every country, something called the VAT gap, right? Which is how much you were supposed to collect versus how much you actually collect. Right, and usually a portion of that is down to fraud as well. So part of the drivers behind wanting to introduce e-invoicing is you have actual cases where, which you know, there was a study very recently by the OECD that when a government introduces e-invoicing, there is a significant reduction in the VAT gap in that country after a few years, right? And I mean, and we've seen numbers such as 
20 or 25% of the reduction in the gap. Now, when that 20 or 25% is out of a 150 billion pound amount, it's a significant mm-hmm. uh, amount of money that is collected automatically without any additional effort really from the government because the onus of the compliance is on the taxpayer yes. not on the tax authority and so you be, you basically move from a world where you have a voluntary compliance sort of model to move into an automatic compliance model because if the right amount of tax is applied straight away on that invoice and as a government I know and I have access to that information so I know who sold what to whom at what price with what amount of tax on it, then it becomes far more difficult to commit fraud at that, right? Mm. Because when comes the time to file your VAT return, the government already knows what the, all the underlying information that should go into it. Right. Yeah? So that's kind of sort of the, of the main drivers behind that. Yeah, fascinating. I love the idea of enabling business. It's a kind of win-win. Uh, the smoother <laughs> money moves around, the smoother peak customers know what they're paying, et cetera, et cetera. It just creates exactly. a, a better environment and something wonderful is going to emerge from that for everybody's benefit. So that's really good. What I want to do now is shine a spotlight on you, Pierre. Okay, so this is yeah. about you now um, and your leadership. What's your passion? What drives you? <laughs> so I really enjoy anything that has to do with technology first right so the way i would i would describe myself is a technology person that just happened to have to learn tax as opposed to the other way around yeah so playing between brackets with software technology trying to solve the problem that's what really excites me what part of that then becomes kind of you know being really excited where i know i have the right solution to solve the problem of a client and when i'm in that room and I know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to help them solve that problem, you know, whether it is be more efficient, save time, save cost, whatever this might be. That's where I, I really enjoy myself, right? It's being in that position. And so everything I do around it, whether it is working with the team on, you know, the new features, the roadmap, the functionality, the marketing, everything else is trying to put me back into that position where I am 100% convinced that I have the right solution to solve that problem, right? Okay. That's where I, yeah, I really enjoy myself. I can see it. I can see you. On, I know the audience can't see you on camera, but I can see the passion beaming from you there. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, as you kind of said offline, you know, practical solutions through technology, you know, making the life, I guess, kind of making the life, making the world a better place through technology. Correct. Absolutely right. You know, and because you see, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the vague, fluffy sort of topics around tech, all these buzzwords today about AI and the generative element of it and what you could potentially do in the future and blah, blah, blah. That's fun. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting topic, but that to me lacks still a very easy, practical application in certain cases, and definitely mm-hmm. my world, to really being able to drive value from it. Yeah. And that's, I guess, really what I enjoy is being able to take something and apply it to a problem and drive value out of it. And to your point is making someone life easier at the end of it, right? That's kind of really where where I uh, I like to spend most of my time. 
Brilliant. That's great. And I'm also curious as a leader in this space, how you roll as a leader. What's your style? Well, so I think that one of the the first thing I think about me is I'm very authentic. And so I'm a very binary person. So I'm either zero or one person, right? I don't do fluff. I don't do gray. I hate uncertainty, you know, I, I hate all those sorts of things, right? Which, and, and that transpires, I think, in who I am as, as a person, definitely, but also in my style of leadership as well. The way I would typically look at it, right, is as a leader, you need to have a vision because if you want, because the definition of a leader is having people to follow you. Now, if those people don't know where they are going and where you want to go, they're not going to follow you. So having yes. a clear vision, a clear path, right? And, you know, this is not about, you know, having a vision to change the world, but this is a vision about, okay, whatever your team, whatever in the next 12 months, the next three years, the next five years, what do you want to achieve? Where do you want to be? So that, I think, is is the first, to me, at least the first tray of a leader, is having clear vision that you can articulate, that people can understand, and more importantly, then those people can explain to others, as well right that's where to me that's the the only sign that your vision is clear is when someone else can explain it as well to yeah. their you know friends to their entourage or whoever that i think to me is is the first way so the second one i think is being authentic i think as human beings we respond to someone that we feel is genuine versus someone that we perceive might be fake or is not 100 percent straightforward with us so I think being authentic, which means that you are consistent, whether it is consistent in the good thing that you do, but also consistent in what will really make you angry. Mm. I think people like the fact that they know where they stand with me, whether it is my team or my colleagues or my clients or whoever, right? There is nothing hidden. Yes. So, and I think people respond much better to that. Yes. Right? Uh, being 100% authentic um, in front of them. Yeah, I think the third way would be the consistency, as I was saying, and the consistency and leading by example in the sense of not expecting something from your team that you would not be able to do yourself or, or that you wouldn't want to go through yourself. Because I think, you know, that again loses the, your your team start to lose very quickly respect for you. If they feel like you ask them to do something that you wouldn't want to bother yourself to do, right? Or that you wouldn't go through the pain uh, yourself um, yeah. for that. And I was going to say a fourth thing, yes, which is, and I think that's probably the key that I found into having what you would call a high performing team, which is your team knowing that you have their back. And while this sounds fairly basic as a concept, I think a lot of leaders and and a lot of managers as well, and, and I think there is a difference between those two, by the way, I think a lot of the time they do not emphasize that enough. And so when you have a team or team members that are either afraid to make mistakes or do not feel that if someone outside your team is going to come rain down on them for whatever reason, that you may not stand up for them or you might just throw them under under the bus to save yourself, that team dynamic 
explodes very, very quickly. The, the trust is lost and then it's everybody for their own corner, just trying to save themselves and their job, right? Yes. And all the creativity, all the, I guess, all the thing that people would do beyond that regular scope of their role, all of that disappear instantly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I've been fortunate throughout my, my career that I had never have to ask people to do what they were supposed to do. And so whether whether that is having to work, you know, a long evening or on the weekend or while they were away, I never asked them that, but they still did it because they were bought into what we were trying to achieve as a team. And at that point in time, that's what was needed to be done. And they would they would do that because they've also seen me doing it as well. Yes, that's great. So, Pierre, as we come to the closing arc of our time together, unfortunately, I've got some nice warm questions to ask you. Any advice that you've got for aspiring tech leaders out there? Uh, so, I don't think there should be a difference whether you are a tech leader or a non-tech leader. <laughs> yes, you know, you have a particular skill set that you need to have, fair enough, but that's true of every every leaders out there. So, if you if you just take the, the leader part of that tech leader statement, that you've made. I think the the one advice I would give is leadership is not a rank. It's not linked to a title. It's an attitude. So you can be a leader and be at the lowest rank of your particular organization. And you can be at the highest rank and not be a leader at all. You, ju you just have a position of authority, which is very different to leading people. So back to your question, I think is putting yourself out there and taking that leadership step towards others will lead you in an organic and natural way into the leadership role that you, that you may want. So to me as well, being a leader is filling up the space. So regardless of where where you are and where you work in terms of either seniority or within your company, you know that there are always cases where there is a task to be done and it doesn't fall exactly on anybody's plate. So are you going to be the one that say, well, you know what? I'm going to take that. Let's take you, Bob, and you, Marie, and let's try to do something about that, right? That's being a leader, mm -hmm. as simple as that. Right? It's not about trying to lead the world. It's taking those small steps. But what people don't realize is by taking all those little steps, you start to then ingrain yourself in their eyes as a leader anyway. And so I like the, the bottom-up sort of approach to things anyway. So taking all those small steps and starting to shine towards your team or towards a colleague or someone else on taking those initiatives, putting yourself out there, slowly kind of drive you into that role anyway, because you would become the only choice that people can think about mm. when that leadership role will open. I'm quite passionate about, about that. You know, I, I always joke saying, you know, if you leave me space, I'm going to feel it one way or, or another. And, you know, and sometimes it means, you know, you may step on someone else's toes and that's fine. You know, if no one takes accountability for it, mm. if you do, then you automatically position yourself as a leader. Yes. Right? Wow. Because because people see you like that straight yes. away. So I think that would be the first the first advice. And the second one is do not underestimate your capabilities. Because I've seen 
so many times throughout my career, people that even before they even try, just defeat themselves out of a role or a task. I say, ah, oh, you know, this is not for me. Like someone more senior need to do this. Right? And you're like, well, actually, if no one has done that, just try it. You're not going to die from it. It's very unlikely that you're going to be let go because you try to do the right thing for the company. So do not underestimate your own capability and don't be afraid to take that leap. You might fail. You might get a slap, you know, saying, oh, you know, stick to your role or whatever. But at least you've tried. Mm. And if you don't take any small risk, you will never get to that next sort of role that you are looking for, right? Because a, a leader at the end of the day is also someone who is willing to take some risk and be accountable for it. Because that's that's also the very hard thing I think about being a leader is you have to give away all the credit if something goes well, but you have to take all the blame if something goes bad. It's a very difficult role. It's not, a, it's not an easy role at all. Now, a lot of people do not treat a leadership position like that, unfortunately, but that's what it means. Yes. Is you have to give away all the credits and you have to take all the blame and you have to protect your team for that. And so if you're not willing to take risk and if you're not willing to be accountable for choices that, that you've made, you will never be in a true leadership position. Yes. Right. So I think is being confident enough about yourself to try it out and all of us, and I'm sure you do as well, that even within your company or within your setup, you know that, that sometimes there is a gap to be filled. And so who will fill that says a lot about who they are, their personality, mm. uh, and what they would aspire to. Right? I mean, again, that's how I look at the world. That's brilliant. I love that. I love the idea of filling that gap. I can just see you there, seeing a gap appear and go, that's mine. <laughs> that's great. But, th- but you're right. This is where you do find leaders, the ones that are looking for those gaps. They're looking for yeah. uh, that opportunity to let themselves shine and take responsibility. So that's brilliant. And any books or films that have been inspirations on your leadership journey that you'd like to share here as well? Ah, that is a tough question. I'm not sure it would be a movie or a theatre, but, you know, Books from, for instance, Simon Sinek. Yeah. I'm 100% usually aligned with what, with what he says. I mean, he's, he's an extremist optimistic, you know, about yeah. certain things. But, you know, I, I think it's refreshing to hear those sort of point of view. But yeah, I think the, he would be one of the key, would say, ins- inspiration or as a reality check on what for me it means to be a, a leader right in that way, you know i think that that human element to it is so important and people don't realize the the amount of time and effort and how ungrateful that position can be they, they don't want to hear that right they want to hear about the fact that oh you know everybody think of you as the leader and you have this position in this world etc but they do not want to hear about the iceberg beneath the surface of all the work, all the sacrifice and all the all the blame slash all the ungrateful side of things that you mm. also have to do if, yes. if you truly want to aspire to that, right? Which I think is a is not something that you're born with, it's something that you have to work on every day. Every day. That's great. Thank you for sharing those. Here you go, is a fun part of the podcast. 
I'm going to be your tech genie for a second, and I'm going to offer you a wish for your leadership, right. your organization, for your industry even. What would you wish for? So, oh, for for my industry or for, okay, okay. It's, a, it's an interesting question because I wouldn't want it too easy because if not, it's not exciting mm. anymore. I think is probably the ability to be everywhere and to be aware of everything that is happening instantly, very, very easily. I think having that sort of ability and sorry being able to teleport myself in any city in any country at no cost i think that that would be fantastic <laughs> yeah i love it that that would be obviously it would be a very selfish wish not really for the industry more for more for myself but yeah being able to be instantly somewhere you know even from a work standpoint understanding what are the requirements how we're going to do this bam be able to go back go and see this teammate or this teammate or this team etc i think that would supercharge the excitement about it without making it too easy and that we still have to figure it out and work and work it out which i think is also part of part of the fun well, you'd be glad to know, as a genie, as a tech genie, I'm working on exactly that thing, okay? Ah, so good, 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 perfect. But, but, but the interesting thing that you mentioned there around this idea is, is that it would be remote working on, on steroids because then you could work remotely, but then you could go and meet. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we come to the full stop of the podcast, as full stop of our time together, what's the final key takeaway that you'd like to leave our tech audience out there? It's a parting gift. As a parting gift, I would say out of 10 people in your team, two of them will are going to take you for a ride and they will use and abuse you because you're nice, because you're trying to help, because of whatever. But eight out of 10 will make it worth it, regardless of what those two put you through. Because, and I think this is one of the most satisfying aspects of my job, definitely, is looking after people in your team right because obviously part of being in those sort of roles is you want your team to grow right you want them to at some point become leaders as well right and go on to be far better version of your of yourself as much as possible but so i think the one of the most grateful thing about that is once you look after those people first first of all as i say eight out of ten will render that back to you tenfold which which make it all worth it being able them to then evolve and shine and being their own superstar, right? I think is one of the best feeling in the world. Because I used to think, you know, being under the spotlight, either winning an award or doing a keynote speech is bright, right? But and again, this is me having someone from your team that gets that award or is on stage doing a keynote speech. That feeling of pride that you get from that mm. makes makes it so much worth it for everything that you might have to go through and for those two people that may abuse you at some point because of you know whatever right so so i think that would be my parting gift is it's so rewarding when you reach that stage yeah don't be afraid to you know, have a bad apple at some point, which we all have. We all, we all make mistakes who we hire or who we trust right, or who we look after at some point. But the eight or nine out of 10 people that when you do the same with them, it's an absolute pleasure. It's really, it's a, it's a fulfillment of that 
position. So, so yeah, so it's ungrateful as a position, but it's so rewarding at the same time. Wise words to finish on, Pierre. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thank you. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.